0: You know there's a lot of sense of like victimization in the creative industries artists already feel like victims so there's not a real sense that I have found of like well I'm gonna stretch out and include chronically disabled people mm-hmm. as well like I'm already yeah, struggling why should I have to like so struggle true. more so we're all struggling mm-hmm. but like I'm I'm locked out even more than like an able-bodied person yeah. might be
1: in the arts this podcast is a deep dive into the arts industry where I talk to creative professionals about what they do and why they do it I am your host Tani Fosdike, and today I am so excited to be sharing the first ever episode of this podcast with you I won't harp on too much, but just to give some context, I am a Melbourne-based arts worker. I work at an art gallery called Arts Project Australia. I program for the Environmental Film Festival Australia, and I also do freelance writing and curating. This podcast has come to be through that passion for arts writing, I guess, where I just really believe in content, which is fun and engaging and accessible. I don't have an art history background, and I don't think other people should need one to be able to think about human creativity and really dig into that. So uh, a few months ago, I set out to interview a range of creative people uh, who work in all sectors of the arts industry to really hone in some questions that I had burning about what it is like to work in the arts industry. Now, fast forward, I have eight interviews to share with you. And they're all really about the roots of, art, of artistic ambition and how this ambition can evolve into a profession within the creative industries and kind of the joys, the highs and lows of working within the arts. And in this opening episode, I have chatted with Caitlin Plyley, who is a writer, podcast host and a spoken word poet amongst other things. She has been published by The Lifted Brow, Vice, Daily Life, Seizure, Junkie, The Sydney Mooring Herald. She writes about things like living with a disability as well as pop culture. We talk about the value of travel on the creative minds. we also talk about the damage of positive thinking and the scarcity mindset of the Australian art scene as well as the the one and only taylor swift i have opened with this episode because it's my low-key favorite but also because it's the longest and i love long and juicy podcasts and this is the longest and juiciest of the season so it is my gift to the people who are coming here for my very first episode dig in and thank you so much for plugging in today. Hey
0: Lynn. I'm doing well thank you how are you
1: I'm good thanks for being with me today
0: thrilled to be here
1: awesome um I thought to start usually I just ask outside of what you do which is a bit of literature a bit of spoken word what sort of other art forms do you enjoy
0: uh do I enjoy doing um
1: uh, yeah or in consuming whatever oh, so we're like what, gosh yeah <laughs> well <laughs> either or yeah <laughs> if we're
0: talking about consuming then I watch a lot of tv oh cool um on streaming, uh, streaming services. Uh, I like watching movies. I saw the new Star Wars the other night.
1: Oh, what, what did you think?
0: Uh, <laughs> give me a couple of years and yeah. I'll have figured out what I think of that movie.
1: <laughs> I, I've, I've had negative, negative reviews.
0: I mean, at the end of the day, it is a Star Wars movie. So I wasn't really like, I shouldn't have, yeah. No, I just, I don't know. I walked out of there going, what was that about? <laughs> 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 um, but also like, I cried in one scene. Um, I'm an easy cry, anyway. But like, there was like a really touching scene, and I was crying. And there was a guy like in the row behind me, and he was just laughing his butt off. Really, like, he at, was like, at
1: you or the? Oh the no, film? <laughs> at the film. Oh
0: god, maybe. Oh, I don't think it was at me, but um, no, he wow. was just laughing at the film. I think because it was like it towed, it walked the line of cheesy, and sometimes it just oh, no. walked right over that line. And I think he was laughing yeah. at how ridiculous, like oh. how nothing really made any sense and um they kept trying to I think the movie kept trying to deliver these like huge hard-hitting moments but you were kind of like wait what what Uh, so So I was crying he was laughing both were correct responses
1: Uh (laughs) (laughs) I was saying to my partner this morning like I feel like the biggest fan of Star Wars, but also the least fan of Star Wars because I grew up with it and my brothers were, like, playing it nonstop, like, all the time. Like, every day there's a Star Wars movie on, so i watched it a lot. Oh, wow. we, we had a Star Wars club. My brothers had a Star Wars club and, the, like, their friends had to, like, sign things to get in. And then oh I was, like, the token female that was around, <laughs> so I had to, like, you know, sit on furniture or go into trees and get saved because I was useless, oh. fe- like, <laughs> princess in distress sort of thing um you couldn't couldn't
0: couldn't play this trilogy that way could you no ray is the hero
1: yes um (laughs) but then i'm like i've seen these films like hundreds of times and then i've watched the new ones but i don't actually think if you ask me i could actually tell you what the narrative of Wars is (laughs) because i just yeah so disjointed like when i think of the the films that's
0: interesting yeah no I, i mean i loved them as a kid i discovered them like when i was like uh like 12 11 um and I was like, oh, what are these old movies? And then I was, like, obsessed with them immediately yeah. after I watched them. And then the prequels came out when oh, I was, yeah. like, in my teens. So I went and saw those at the cinema. And mm. I think I was just excited to have new Star Wars films. And then um, I remember, like, buying a Jar Jar Binks doll and thinking, like, you know, I'm going to keep the tags on because so is going to be an investment. <laughs> oh, I was so wrong. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't an investment. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, how I kind of felt watching this movie. I was like, "Oh, they went a, like they, there's no Jojo Jar Jar Binks in it, but they went a little bit Jojo Jar Jar Binks on some things." And oh, you're wow. like, "Oh."
1: I mean, it's a bit tricky because I think when Disney bought them out, people were probably very nervous about it
0: becoming yeah. cheesy.
1: So they needed to be careful.
0: Yeah, um, but then the first, uh, the first JJ Abrams one, I thought was really good. Um, I can't remember what it was called. Revenge of the No. Yeah. Somebody was mm. Star Wars something something. Yeah. Um <laughs> I really, really, really liked The Last Jedi by Ryan Johnson. That was mm. really interesting. Um but then this one was just like more Star Wars nostalgia, so chopped up and oh. thrown into a salad oh, bowl.
1: It's the last one, so
0: Yeah, they went for Died it.
1: Enough. Yep. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough, you know. <laughs> um and so as someone who's kind of like consuming art forms rather than Making them, what does art do for you?
0: um, it's like my safe place, yeah, so I usually, um, I spend a lot of time because I'm chronically ill, mm. I spend a lot of time feeling really shitty mm. uh, all You're right totally. awesome <laughs> <laughs> um, and it helps me distract from pain from discomfort, um gives me something to do while I'm lying around all day mm. um. Yeah, main, mainly is like an es- mainly is escapism for me. Is mainly yeah. how I consume art. I think uh, also you know music. I listen to music a lot. Mm. Podcasts. I'm um, yeah. trying to get into reading comics more because it's expensive, so I'm like borrowing off friends. Yeah. Um, uh I've been reading a lot of nonfiction. That's not so much an escapism. That's research for my book, and that's a yeah. lot harder because yeah. I'm used to like consuming things being escape, mm-hmm. and so actually having to like, um focus and learn things and focus on difficult truths is like it's hard to get motivated to do it yeah it
1: takes <laughs> up a lot of energy too to kind of because it's it very conscious reading yes yeah. yeah
0: yeah it is and it's um it's tough um what else I, I guess I like a hang on my walls mm. um to make my home feel homier
1: yeah that's nice
0: um and and also to kind of um connect me to like keep me to remind me um uh what I want for my life, like mm-hmm. to sort of keep me in a headspace that is like I don't wanna say positive but like hopeful, yeah, Because um, hope can be very negative um if if the things you hope for don't come true, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um you know it can be like attaching yourself to a certain outcome, uh so Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, art. (laughs) Yeah,
1: And kind of going, yeah, backtracking to your early days, do you remember your first connection with literature?
0: I mean, I know my parents had music on a lot. Mm. So I remember, like, you know, being a little kid and Elton John was on and the Beatles. um, I know that I loved reading very, very early. So I, like... I could read before I went to school so I was like burning through all the my first um farm animals books and stuff Mm. and then um my mum had to put me onto like she had I'm (laughs) she had to like (laughs) churn through um the books like like because I would just like eat them up yeah and then and then I'd be like <laughs> more more <laughs> give it to me yeah so like I, I know I got really into poetry really early mm. and I remember like I think I wrote my first poem when I was like five or six. Oh wow and I I don't know where that comes from because my parents are not um uh really into poetry or um uh they're not artists um and um not really creatives mm. uh in that sense and um uh i mean i lived in i grew up in i was born and grew up in cairns so um we had a lot of um artists living Mm. around in our neighborhood so maybe i Just picked it up from there. I don't know. It comes
1: from somewhere. It comes from somewhere. Yeah. yeah.
0: I don't know where, though. Yeah. It's very confusing to me because it's like, I was like a, uh, I was very much a black sheep in my family. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And I think poetry, I think I was the same when I was young. I just started writing poetry, but it was kind of like a random thing for a kid to engage with because it's like abstract and it can be quite moody and,
0: and like, yeah. Was I reading poetry? Like where <laughs> like how did I even know what poetry was? Like Yeah. Because I remember very clearly being like, I am writing a poem. So I didn't I wasn't like um you know, it wasn't like I look back later and go, Oh, I didn't realise but what I was doing was poetry. I very much knew at the time. Did you
1: go to libraries? M- maybe you like run into <gasps> that like a section of the library and you're like, oh, what is this? I
0: don't remember <laughs> going I mean, I'm, we probably did, but um I don't remember going to the library when I was that young. But, again, I don't – I mean, it's a long time yeah. ago. I don't remember a lot.
1: <laughs> and how did you kind of – how did you get into writing and how did it impact your life as you grew up?
0: Um, again, I don't know where this came from. I just was, like, born a writer. Mm. Um, and I knew I wanted to be a book author. Um, and um, so I basically went to school and was, like, you know, started year one was like um I'm gonna be a writer (laughs) um trying to think like how did it impact my life I mean I guess it like gave me an identity because I was a really um weird offbeat kid Mm. um I didn't make friends uh, easily in the sense that I didn't feel connected to people easily um just because I feel like uh I always had this other world going on in my head (laughs) yeah so writing helped me um I guess express that, and um, I used to write a lot, a lot of poems about mm. my dog. Um, Lovely. Just, uh, just, just you know, reams and reams of um, like just declarations of my love for him. <laughs>
1: That's beautiful. <laughs> just you know,
0: yeah. uh, descriptions of his face, of his fur. Oh, beautiful. Um, and just how much I loved him, yeah.
1: <laughs> I can imagine doing that now about my bunnies. <laughs> oh, yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> if I had a dog now, I would still be writing. Like, you'd, everyone, in, everyone I, who reads I, my work would I have to put up with it. I thought you could do that.
1: That's, like, such a good idea because I feel like I'm always gushing to people that I know. I'm just like, they never ask, but I'm always like, oh they're just so beautiful and I'm like maybe I should yeah maybe I should just commit this to the page (laughs) journal about yes
0: why not I think this is the kind of thing that pet owners would be really into because they'd be like someone's expressing what I feel
1: yeah exactly
0: (laughs) (laughs) what a good idea and
1: so you're saying it was part of your identity how did it kind of transition to something you're like okay well this is something I can do long term I can develop this as like this passion into a career. Into <laughs> again, other,
0: yeah. I was always career focused. Yeah. Like it's so weird, but like as a six year old, I was like, I'm working on my career. <laughs> um, and again, I don't yeah. come from an artsy family. Yeah. Like, um, I, I genuinely don't know where this mm-hmm. comes from. And neither did my parents. They were like, yeah. what, what is this kid? They, <laughs> they were like um, maths and science people. Mm-hmm. And um, they were kind of like, we don't know what to do with this kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, Uh, But yeah, I I started trying to get published at an early age. I remember being very focused on being the youngest author to ever be published. And then a girl, I I remember when I was like 13, um, a a girl got published who was like 12 and I was like, well, shit, (laughs) the dream is dead. And I felt very, um, uh, I felt like giving up because I I, I had a real sense of like, um, if you're not the best, then... If you don't have like a gimmick, then like, how are you going to get in? Yeah, um, I was so young and so cynical.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's other people who kind of go through life having nothing but just ego, and then have flourishing careers, which is like the total, yeah. total opposite.
0: Well, I mean, my ego is okay; it's doing all right. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um. Yeah. So I got published in the local newspaper. I wrote poems and got That's sent sweet. them into yeah. the local paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got published in the West Australian, I think, when I was, like, a kid, um, because I'm from Perth. Yeah. So we pretty much had, like, two newspapers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once I got into high school, I was always working on, um, like, trying to figure out how I could get published. uh, Even when I was 10, um, I remember meeting authors and questioning them on how they got their careers started. That's amazing. I know. I don't know where this comes from. And it's,
1: like, really cool how you kind of connect to, like, creativity to career and that sort of orientation yeah and yeah.
0: I, I didn't grow up in a place where um there was anyone around me doing that kind of life yeah. so that's why I was always just like I must find out how this happens yeah because I couldn't I couldn't fathom how you go from doing what I was doing to having a book published mm-hmm. um I still can't uh <laughs> and um uh so when I met authors I would be like they'd be like oh so you want to be your writer I'd be like yes, what's your daily routine? And, like, <laughs> um, and like d- how do you find an editor and stuff? And they were kind of like, oh, whoa. Oh, wow.
1: Real questions. <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: when I was, like, 12 or 13, I was um, winning book publishing competitions and stuff like that oh, where you
1: yeah. create your own
0: book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, just high school I was just doing as much extracurricular as I mm-hmm. could. Um, got a bit distracted by the whole trying to be the best yeah. um, student like I went to a private high school mm-hmm. and it's very much like um, achievement, achievement, achievement. Um, so I think I got a bit sidetracked and, and then burned out. Yeah. Um, but then after high school, I traveled for a bit and I just lived in share houses for a bit and worked as a waitress and cool. then um, uh, went back to uni and started again.
1: Nice. And where did you go to uni?
0: Uh, University of Western Australia. Oh, cool. Uh, mostly, I went to a couple of unis, but yeah. yeah, that was the main place.
1: And and you're traveling? Was that locally or internationally?
0: No, I went on a round the world trip cool. uh, after I graduated. Um, yeah, I took a year off and just waitressed, and then I uh, went traveling.
1: Were you doing any writing during that period?
0: Oh gosh, yeah, I was yeah. journaling like heck. Yeah, um, I, I've always been into journals mm. um, since actually when I was ten. And I asked an author like, "What do you, what should I do?" And and he said keep a journal yeah um write everything down mm-hmm. and and um yeah so basically since i was 10 i've been journaling yeah um so i love my travel journals um and um i, I think i had always felt like was filling out some questionnaire the other day and it was like what would you save if the house was on fire and I was like my journals because <laughs> um, they're these amazing snapshots of like silly 18 year old me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but like you know silly but also I'm just like so in awe of how wide-eyed I was and mm. romantic yeah and open to possibility mm. uh and uh, I wrote a lot of songs because I like writing lyrics yeah but I don't um yeah, like one day I'd like to put music to them and actually mm-hmm. make music, but music isn't like my it's like I'm not bad at music, but it's not like my strength, so I'm yeah. sort of like not um pursuing it much mm-hmm. cuz I'm kind of like it's it take you need a lot of equipment, you need to yeah. like uh, it's just like it's a whole world, yeah. and I'd have to really dive into it cuz I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Yeah. <laughs> I can't just let myself just do something half-assed. Yeah. Um, which is why I don't do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So I don't know. Is that answering? Your yeah. Question? Definitely. Sorry. I can. I can get a little bit. Uh, I'm very very fatigued wow. today. So you just might I'm, have to I'm, I'm pull getting, me like, back I'm getting totally in.
1: like absorbed in your story. <laughs> <laughs> <It's gross. Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> so like, how do you think? Because you. So you. You've been Cairns, Perth, and then Brisbane, mm. and then Melbourne, and you've travelled a lot. How mm. has like kind of geographical mobility shaped you?
0: I think it's been huge um Mm -hmm. I haven't traveled in the last 10 years because I've been disabled Mm -hmm. uh and on a low income you can travel when disabled but I just for me particularly it hasn't worked out yeah um but before that I traveled a lot and I did a a semester abroad in London so I lived in London for a little bit Mm -hmm. um and I know I my parents took us me and my brother on lots of um overseas trips and obviously my parents are from california so we would go back to america a fair bit and visit mm. family
1: i thought you had a little bit of an american accent yes <laughs> and I was yeah. like, i'm like maybe it's just you know perth uh,
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a bit i do in my stand-up where i'm like yeah, yeah you're right i have an accent i'm from perth because <laughs> oh, oh, oh. the funny thing is no one over here has ever been west yeah <laughs> so they don't that's know thing. that's what I
1: thought I'm like I've got no clue
0: <laughs> it's great it's so funny um this could be what we sound like in Perth you wouldn't know
1: yeah
0: um it's really not
1: <laughs> so I get asked from British like all the time and I'm like no I'm just from Adelaide <laughs> oh yeah
0: that's right I've heard that about Adelaide <laughs> yeah even yeah. when I
1: lived in England for six months as well and people didn't know I was Australian oh that's so funny so funny like I'd be like, yeah, I'm an international student. People are like, really? Like, <laughs> people thought I was yeah. Kiwi. Oh, really? Which That's is like,
0: like, uh, like sure. <laughs> I was, I, I was like, I mean, it's a compliment, but I was like, well, you haven't met any Kiwi people, have you? Because yeah. I do not sound Kiwi.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to miss one. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, very distinctive. Um, I wish I sounded that cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, my parents took us traveling a lot, so I really, um, I think that a lot of, um maybe realizations about your place in the world that you might have later in life. I think I had earlier because, um, I, I, I'm thinking mainly as a white person, white middle-class person too. Like, um, um, like, so my, when I was, um, born, my dad worked in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we used to go to PNG for like to visit him sometimes and just having the experience of being the only white person around, the only white kid, mm-hmm. And then Plus my brother. Um, and um, obviously it wasn't a thing to me because I was, like, so little. It was just, like, this is what life is. Mm. Um, and I wasn't thinking to myself, I am white and they are like, yeah. one." Like, I wasn't thinking that. I was just, like, you're my new friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think that helped when I was, like, growing up, later growing up in a – because Kansas is quite multicultural, but Perth is very uh, monocultural. Mm-hmm. And especially where I grew up northern suburbs is very white Uh, lots of um, British and white South African expats uh, mainly and um, uh, I think it helped that I had experienced like a lot of different cultures so that I knew that there were different ways of doing things Mm. so when people would kind of justify their behavior I was at least in my head kind of going this is odd behavior and if they justified it with this is the way." things have always been Mm. I could my little child brain would know that in another place there's a whole different way of thinking about things yeah and that just helped me sort of question things I think yeah and stay a little bit um uh outside some of the really um sheltered uh just like white centric um not just white but like in every way yeah like just things like um uh I, I, I don't know I just knew that there were different kinds of houses that people lived in and yeah. there's different kinds of like routines that people have mm. day by day and not everybody works nine to five yeah everywhere in the world and, and I think it like yeah.
1: helps you grow up a little bit as well because you know I know some people once they reach adulthood if they haven't had like a lot of life experiences they can get a little bit shell-shocked when their That's own life true. changes because they don't have That's that openness true. or that kind of you know Variety of experiences that, that they've been exposed to, they've kind of just been exposed to. This is one life that you live, and then when things yeah. change or there's challenges, they can be a little bit like, "What? Like, what's what's happening?" But I, yeah, once you travel a lot, you can be like, "Well, I have the to world say, it's crazy." Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> I have to say, life has shell shocked me quite a lot. Anyway, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> um, numbs the blow.
0: <laughs> yeah, I um I miss traveling a lot um, because sometimes I feel like i need to get out of australia for a little while mm. to just remember that there are other ways of doing things because it can get so insular here especially mm. in the arts industry and i just want to know that there are other places <laughs> like i just yeah, want to like feel sense. a little a little fresh air yeah. um yeah, yeah. it's hot
1: and it's actually like oh great to another city and it's just more or less the same (laughs) yeah and sometimes when I'm I'm like I'm like I've been like I know I really like Melbourne I feel like it's the best city in Australia and then I'm like if I go somewhere else I'm just gonna be like unimpressed and then I just feel really full of myself and
0: (laughs) I have to say I've I've lived in a few cities in Australia because I've been too sick to go overseas Uh, another reason is because I would lose my disability support pension if I went overseas Mm -hmm. yeah and I just can't really yeah. afford that um uh, yeah, yeah so i can't just move somewhere because if i can't get if i'm too sick there and i can't get a job i could mm. just end up bankrupt and stuck there yeah um but i have moved city around state to state just as a way of like satisfying that need yeah, to travel that's cool. um the need to experience different things and i have to say like there is a lot of difference but um i don't think melbourne is the best city sorry yeah. melbourne Yeah. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong i'm here what, and i what, love it what do you think is which one i love brisbane yeah. Brisbane. it's not the I've, best yeah. city like
1: i've had good things especially about it's, like the creative industries yeah.
0: yeah i mean it's got its problems mm. it's it's queensland so it's mm. very racist yeah somewhat like this i love melbourne i i see um queer couples holding hands all mm-hmm. the time i see like more trans people than i had ever seen before in my life yeah. that i knew of yeah. um like more people who are just sort of um not worrying about not not so much like gender con- conforming is mm-hmm. happening here there's people really mixing it up yeah and openly and proudly and mm-hmm. that's like i've never experienced anywhere else yeah um in australia mm-hmm. and um but um brisbane is just so um so much less competitive because there's more of like a community feel in the creative industries there yeah. I feel that that's what I found mm-hmm. um I feel like people who come to Melbourne have come here ready to go that's like, yeah that's true you're, they're ready to make the the next level happen and I think that's really valid and yeah. awesome um and it's just Brisbane was like a nice incubator for me
1: that's cool I like um, to hear
0: that. yeah
1: and talking about your work you know you're saying when you're a kid you're like book but when i was looking at your, your
0: I work have, you might have noticed in your notes i have not published a book <laughs>
1: but you have done poetry comedy opinion essays fan fiction review broadcast theater oh yeah everything. i did do fan
0: fiction that's right yeah. <laughs> that one time and it, it was, went viral
1: <laughs> what was it on <laughs> it, was a, bit, it, was, it was, was a one direction <laughs> it was
0: a, uh, no. I, I sadly never got into one direction um Uh, I it was a mashup of Stranger Things and Legally Blonde. That's
1: hilarious.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I just wrote it on my blog for fun, and like a couple weeks later, um, Mashable and the AV Club and like all of these different websites were covering it. It went, it it truly went viral. It was weird. Yeah, it was a funny (laughs) week.
1: (laughs) So, what would you say is like the common denominator between all these types of work that would define your? style
0: um I don't know I mean I guess like I often get called conversational Mm -hmm. have a conversational tone um and I think I've I think that's true um I mean storytelling is my main thing Mm -hmm. so I just use lots of different platforms to storytell but that's kind of so vague that it's like it doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. um Uh, I think a lot about what people deserve, like what Mm -hmm. does a person deserve is kind of like for the past few years has been like a main sort of driving inquiry, uh, I don't know, thesis, like, um, just, I'm always just sort of wondering, like, you know, so I I did like a one woman show that sort of combined, um, up and storytelling and poetry and it was, um about rape culture but Mm. I never said that explicitly it was kind of like how do I how would I explain to a cis man who hasn't experienced this you know way of moving through the world how do I make them make them how do I um how do I sort of show what it's like and how Mm -hmm. how um like you know all the little microaggressions, like do, do, do women deserve this? And how do yeah. I, obviously we, we don't, but like, how do, how do I, you know, yeah. show that? Um, Oh yeah. So I'm writing a book at the moment about mm-hmm. chronic illness. Yeah, um, awesome. and, um, it's really hard to write. That's why it's taken so long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, sort of, I, I keep thinking like, like, um, in terms of things like welfare and, mm sort of structural accessibility mm-hmm. in buildings, in homes, in yeah. um, workplaces, like what do, what do we deserve? Yeah, like, definitely. Um, and how different is that to how things are now?
1: Yeah, cool. And so you have like written work, but you also have, you know, spoken word background. You were a national finalist of the Australian Poetry Slam and you're a host of your own podcast. So what kind of attracts you to spoken word compared to the written word?
0: Um, I really like talking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think. Um, well, I know that I got into spoken word because I was really excited that there was because I I always wanted to be an actor when I was a kid because I thought I thought I love movies and I love storytelling. Um, and like the people that I saw doing that Mm -hmm. were actors, but I realized pretty quickly um, after many years of acting school, actually, so not that quickly, um, that I am not very good at acting, or or at least I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And um, I I was really excited when I discovered Spoken Word when I was like 20 Mm -hmm. um, because it came to Perth and I had never heard of it before. And it was like um, Alan Boyd put on the first – uh, Perth Poetry Slam and I was like whoa yeah. he said I was he said later that I was the first one to sign up <laughs> <laughs> I was like that sounds about right and I was like so stoked to, that it was happening because it yeah. combined my my love of performance with but like I could just be myself yeah. I didn't have to be pre- I didn't have to be um, acting Yeah. Um, and it was a way to get my poetry out to people that was interesting because mm-hmm. I don't think that many people like um, well page poetry is awesome and i don't i didn't think that it was my strength yeah so this was like a way for me to do poetry but kind of mix it with um what i'm stronger at which is like speaking yeah um yeah because i was always good at um all the public speaking stuff at school so i was kind of like but you know i didn't really want to stand up and deliver lectures yeah although i would (laughs) (laughs) uh if anyone would listen to me (laughs) um yeah so it was like a fun way of um delivering my thoughts about the world
1: um so within your um storytelling there's a emphasis on self-reflection and memoir because you're often writing about your own experiences um so I'm just wondering how writing about personal experience has advocated for the disabled community because when I think Mm. about memoir there's people who kind of do it for themselves and people who do it for other people then there's sometimes there's a blend Mm. between the two
0: Um, that's really good question. Um, I, I wouldn't want to claim that my writing memoir is automatically advocating for the disability Mm -hmm. community. I think that there's definitely, it's important for people, um, to share their experiences. Um, it's important for disabled and chronic chronically ill voices Mm -hmm. to be heard. Um, but I think that advocacy has to go further, so I wouldn't necessarily wanna claim that I'm some kind of um advocate just for doing that. Mm-hmm. I also write um uh I'm just thinking about things I have written and yeah. have published like i have I have um helped copyright um research and write a uh guide on um, reporting on disability mm-hmm. for people with disability Australia, that to me felt way more like advocacy, Yeah. but it's interesting because what people respond to the most has been my seizure piece on, um, I've written two, two pieces for seizure. Uh, one was called how to talk to sick people mm-hmm. and, um, a lot of chronically ill and disabled people have really connected to that yeah. one, I think, cause it's just so ridiculous how, um, like I try was just satirizing ableism, mm-hmm. basically, yeah, um, but the other one about uh my experience with the central link robo debt, yeah, um, and having a minister call it merely an inconvenience for us mm-hmm. um when it was when people uh, at this point now, like people have killed themselves mm. uh over these debts, um and just the sense of hopelessness that the general attitude our government has towards us like fosters in you, um. So, yeah, I think, like, um, I guess me telling my story helped advocate. And mm. obviously I was thinking of that when I wrote it because I was mad. I was really angry at the disconnect our, um, you know, elected officials have from – I mean, I don't know if all ministers are elected. Honestly, the Australian political system yeah. <laughs> is like um, it's like a maze. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but, you know, these people that make decisions for the community mm-hmm. don't seem connected to it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, we're, disabled people are a good 20% of the population, mm. so we're, like, a huge chunk. Mm. Um, and obviously we're not a um, monolith, but um, if you don't even have the most basic grasp of what it's like to live as a disabled person, you could end up saying silly things like, oh, it's just an inconvenience. Um, crazy. Or a disabled person yeah. on low income, I should say. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. What was I saying? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess you're kind of talking about, like, Oh. On, on the subject, I guess there's like power in writing it, but also limitations because yeah, you kind of think writing can only go so far, but then the writing in itself is important to spread awareness.
0: Yeah, well, actually, it's interesting you ask that because um, I've been working on my book for like six years now, or mm-hmm. something, and maybe longer. And it started out as memoir because mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like I had enough knowledge to write anything other than my own experience. But while I've been writing it, I've been actively trying to educate myself about disability rights and just mm-hmm. sort of about everything I need to know for this book. And as I kept going, I realized that like my experience is not that interesting and I got sick of myself. Yeah. And so it's turned from memoir into more of nonfiction essays cool. um, and more leaning in research. Mm-hmm. But obviously, the fact that I have lived experience sort of lends, I, I hope, a credibility mm-hmm. to what I'm, yeah. to, to the fact that it's me writing and not mm-hmm. somebody else. Um, so yeah, for me, it's kind of like, um, uh, I I think, um, memoir is important and I have friends who have, and are just about to publish, uh, Mm -hmm. disability memoirs. And I think that the more voices you get out there, the better, could only be better. But personally, I get a bit of imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I don't, uh, and I want to make sure that like, um, I am doing the best I can for the community yeah. and not just for myself.
1: Yeah. <laughs> good answer.
0: <laughs> oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> um,
1: meaty one, isn't it? Um, and I guess, like, what I found with your writing is that it wasn't kind of this, like, really positive, feel good, like...
0: God, no. <laughs>
1: um, sort of, like, you know, I'm going to make you feel better about your situation or this is how, like, um, non-disabled people can be, like... You know, really empowered and that sort of thing. It's much more. You're already
0: like, empowered. You're non disabled. Yeah, Fuck yeah, you. <laughs> exactly. It's more just kind of like
1: just unequivocally looking into the face and me, like this is what it, what it is. Um. So I'm just wondering why you approach writing about disability from just a, more of a frank position.
0: I'm very angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So I guess there's that, and I mean, there's been decades of inspiration objectification and um positive uh you know thinking that centers the non-disabled feelings and experience of like um here's how you can feel better when you see a wheelchair person and like um here's the charities that you can give to that's already been happening for Mm. a long time and we have not seen the strides that we need um That the awareness just still is so low out there. Mm. Um, So, um, I think for me, I'm very wary of positive thinking. Yeah. Um, it's been very harmful to chronically ill people and just to people in general. Um, and also it's already very popular. It's fine. Yeah. It's already out there. So, for me, I just want to write truthfully Mm -hmm. and. Yeah, I guess like looking things right in the face.
1: Yeah, that's good. I think sometimes with this sort of stuff, when it's positive, it gets so like repetitive. Yeah, in a there's way. that too. Or it's this like this element of trying to be helpful. In mm. with like my own like struggles with like chronic fatigue and IBS and some mental health issues, and when you kind of want to read about it, people are just like, drink more water,
0: mm, or yeah. you know,
1: s- you know, have some melatonin, and it's just like. I don't want you to, like, help me. I just want to, like...
0: That's a good point. I just
1: want to feel like... I sometimes just want to read about someone feeling shit and be like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, like, the exactly what you're saying is, like, it always puts the non-disabled person in the role of healer and Mm. savior. Yeah. And that's what I was um, satirizing with How to Talk to Sick People is the idea that once you meet a sick person, you step into the role of healer Mm. and now you are the hero um just by having met them and found out that they're chronically ill <laughs> it's because uh, you know it, people immediately start wanting to give unsolicited advice so my mm-hmm. bio this year has said um not accepting unsolicited advice <laughs> in 2019 and it's going to be 2020 as well yeah. and probably forever uh and people still do it and I, i'm yeah. like don't make me tap the bio <laughs> um it's right there it's in it's I, i'm very clear with everyone yeah. even my close friends they'll still i'll still be like um you're giving unsolicited advice. Yeah. Um, it's it's almost epidemic, mm-hmm. um, and it, it means that, like, you can't just um, sit with a disabled person's experience. Yeah. You feel like you must fix them. Like,
1: people are scared of negative sort of connotations or experiences, yeah. and they just want to wipe it away.
0: But also, yeah. like, some of it isn't negative, you know? Yeah. Like, some of it's just neutral.
1: Yeah, exactly, and like, it's just because <laughs> it makes them feel uncomfortable doesn't mean, yeah. you know, it's just part of the other person's daily life, and...
0: Mm. I always yeah. say to pe I always say in my head, like, when people react that way, I'm like, sorry that I reminded you of mortality, just yeah. by existing. Yeah.
1: Like,
0: <laughs> they see my, they see my, if I have my walking stick or my wheelchair, it's like, you see their faces, it's like, oh, no, life can be bad. And it's like, you should already know that. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you know, um that's where I think positive thinking has done a lot of harm mm-hmm. as a sort of um ideology, because it makes people feel like if they accept the different shades of life then it's gonna attract it towards them um and so it's sort of that's why uh, not why but i see like Mm. i think that that's part of why you see like um disabled people being um locked away in institutions and like separate to community because it's like you remind us of uncomfortable truths
1: yeah Um,
0: but they're not doing that like that's not they're just they're existing as humans Mm -hmm. like they're not um reminders they're not symbols uh, you know, I am not, uh, I'm not your inspiration. I'm not mm. a symbol. I'm not some kind of wake up call for you. And yeah. I'm definitely not existing to remind you of something. Yeah. Um, I'm just existing the same way you are. Mm. And so people need to stop reacting as if we are walking morality tales.
1: <laughs> um, and kind of going on from going back to your seizure piece, because I really did like that one about the Centrelink Mm. dead um and like yeah i was saying to you earlier i don't usually touch on finance in this podcast because it's this huge troop of like oh starving artists you're all yeah. poor that sort of thing but i know you do write on there's
0: a lot of rich people in the industry don't even yeah. worry they're
1: fine <laughs> <laughs> it's okay um yeah but because you write a lot about the you know, you're a writer on the disability pension so you're And then you write on that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoyed this line from your stage of I think I put two lines together by accident, so sorry if I've butchered your writing. Maybe I could get you to read this.
0: Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, The assumption is that youth equals health, but here I am, young and chronically ill. It's easy to feel unwanted as a person with a disability when the government and some media outlets consistently refer to you as a bludger, slacker, or burden.
1: Thank you. Um, so I guess, like, managing your health alongside your creative dreams and career is already a challenge without sort of added financial pressures. So I'm just wondering, how has pervasive um, financial and housing instability affected your creative career?
0: Oh, it's hugely stunted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I actually been reflecting on that recently and yeah. um, coming to the end of another year, another decade, and feeling um, – i I grapple with especially at the moment um i grapple with a lot of feelings of resentment Mm -hmm. and anger um which aren't necessarily directed at anyone or anywhere just sort of i mean it's mainly directed at my disease (laughs) um uh but it's not just about yeah it's not just about my disease though the thing is like the lack of accessibility in the arts um the lack of um like of part-time jobs that are actually part-time you know how yeah. they'll say like 0.8 fte and they're like that's a part-time job and i'm like well that's basically a full-time job because yeah. that's four days a week yeah exactly um so if you can't do five days now that people if you really can't do five days you're not gonna be able four days four is still days. hard yeah like i know i have friends who do four day weeks and it really works for them they're not disabled mm-hmm. um but it still really works for them because honestly our current expectations for people uh under capitalism are ridiculous mm. <laughs> um 40 hour 50 hour work weeks are ridiculous it and you know crazy. in the arts you know how it is it's like yeah you might have your office job but then you're expected to um yeah to have
1: uh, five creative projects on the side yes. to prove your worth. or even yeah. just for
0: your job you're expected mm. to like um go to the events if you're in events management or marketing yeah. you're expected to like um after work you're going to go to the drinks and you're going to mm. um go to the opening and you're going to go to the launch you're gonna mm-hmm. and you're going to MC and you're going to take photos and like, yeah, there's just always extra, extra stuff. Yeah, um, going to take it all home with you. And you're going to read manuscripts in your bed. Yeah. Um, so there's mm-hmm. that. Yeah, um, and I, I can't
1: fires me up so much, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm glad cause it fires yeah. me up too. Um, and I've been, um, locked out of even that, mm-hmm. um, even those jobs, those, um, shitty jobs that everybody wants. Um, because they're the only jobs Um, because uh, you know uh, also I mean when it comes to the arts I guess I'm uh, I can't speak for the whole arts industry because I mainly know uh, my little corner of it but for literary stuff it's like Mm. um, money's already tight so they're gonna um, find spaces wherever they can and a lot of those spaces are up a lot of stairs yeah Um, or um, just like super inaccessible in other ways Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of sense of like victimization in the creative industries. Artists already feel like victims, so there's not a real sense that I have found of like, well, I'm going to stretch out and include chronically Ill and disabled people mm-hmm. as well, or or even I'm going to I'm going to. I mean, I can't speak for people of color, but I I know that there's there's got to be a lot of. Um, well, I'm not going to go out of my way to like program people of color and find and mentor them. I'm not going to try and Mm. find and mentor women when I'm already doing it so tough. Like I'm already struggling. Why should I have to like struggle more? Um, uh, So, I mean, there's just, so we're all struggling, Mm. but like I'm, I'm locked out even more than like an able-bodied person might be um, because I can't do as many hours Mm. and, um, uh, trying to think what I'm trying to say I guess I don't want to sound too much (coughs) like woe is me when I'm I often feel like I'm one of the lucky ones but my friends keep telling me that I'm actually not that lucky (laughs) Um, because I do have a habit of downplaying my own struggles Mm. um so they're very good they try and keep me grounded um they're like you know you're actually having a hard time and it's okay to it's okay to feel that way I'm like all right cool thank you
1: I mean it's really bad that like yeah that that self victimization, and then of people who are doing fine, but then also just being like, well, that's not okay and you should be pushing back a little bit. Like when mm. I see people working beyond their contracted hours, yeah. it like infuriates me because like I can't do that. Like I yes. I, I like I go to my car and sleep at lunchtime like a lot of oh, the time.
0: That's rough, yeah. Because
1: that's just like – part of my life and then when I see people like five o'clock I'm like yep I'm done I'm going home because that's that's my right yeah but then when people aren't protecting my rights right like I'm very lucky right yeah I'm not intent like I'm very lucky that like I didn't ever think that I would better work full-time but once I started doing it I was like okay the like routine helps me and oh, that's great you know like I'm pretty healthy and able-bodied um but then like when I, I really like want my fair work Rights of you know fair hours mm. and boundaries to be really respected. Yes, and I when I don't when I see my friends that otherwise like I love and admire kind of disrespecting that and letting mm. people because their bodies can handle it. For instance, I'm just like, well, maybe like that is kind of lifting you up and pushing people down.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point because if you're not going home at five, it's like setting a precedent for everyone else. Yeah. Um. That's kind of how I feel about like um yeah people who are always talking about the hustle Mm. and and like there's a lot of um and i i understand why but there's a lot of um idealization of like um always be working always having five projects on the go and i feel like there's something that i have a bit of a um uh pet peeve about Mm. is um a lot of people in the industry um and and i know it's hard to get ahead and i know that there's a reason that we're all working so hard but then they're not prioritizing community. They're not mm. making time for friendships. They're just hanging out oh, with yeah. whoever's nearby in their project. Mm. Um, and so it, it <laughs> just as a friend, I've been left behind because people mm. are just like working, working, working. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, now a lot of us are getting into our 30s and I see them not slowing down. And I'm like, well, then when are we going to slow down? <laughs> yeah. Are we all going to be in our 40s? Mm. And... 50s and 60s and like not caring for each other yeah because we're just grinding yeah um
1: i always say people in the arts are gonna die young and be surprised about it because they just like <laughs> like, <laughs> like burn themselves out and not realize like oh. i'm glad like i know my own limits because i'm just like leisure time yeah i love it and balance yeah just like give me a lot of time laying on lawns and gardens drinking oh, wine and beautiful
0: just, like, yeah yeah living life yeah exactly. like, actually enjoying it mm. and savoring it which is a luxury mm. um it shouldn't be like yeah but we're living under late like, capitalism yeah so we're kind of led to believe it is yeah um but i always think like what are we working for yeah. um and uh yeah there, i think there is like such an in the arts industry is so individualistic mm. um that it can get a bit easy to be like uh, another opportunity, yes. Another opportunity, yes. This will yeah. be good for me. Yes, yes. And it's actually been quite radical for me to stop. And becoming disabled has radicalized me, like, quicker than maybe I would have otherwise been, um, to be like, am I right for this? Mm-hmm. Uh, is my voice necessary here? Could someone else's voice – like, could, could I push someone else forward for this job yeah, or this gig or writing opportunity? Um because uh i feel a lot of the time and this can, this holds me back sometimes from actually writing my own stuff but i'm like oh another middle class white woman yeah. even I, even though i'm on a low income mm-hmm. now like that i grew up middle class so there's like a lot of social capital and um education benefit educational benefits mm-hmm. i before i became disabled i got a degree and uh and you know probably couldn't have done it uh if i wasn't like uh just there's a lot of like I just, there's a lot of privilege with growing up mm-hmm. middle class and, yeah. um, comfortable money-wise. Um, and I never want to lose sight of that Yeah. by just like focusing on the fact that I'm a low income now mm-hmm. because other people, cause there's always someone else with worse off Yeah. who might have better story to tell. Yeah. So that can be kind of paralyzing for me mm-hmm. sometimes. Um. But I end up journaling a lot, <laughs> which I'm like, that's still writing. Yeah, yeah still getting it <laughs> um, out there. And that then if I feel awesome. like it's important enough, maybe I'll push it out into the public yeah. sphere. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it, uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, do you think like community building is like one of the solutions to making the arts more accessible and also like, also conquerable for people with a mm-hmm. disability?
0: I think so. I think. Um, oh gosh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't claim to know th- mm. the solutions, um, but I do think that. I I think in general, just for society, we need mm. more community building. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, we have. Uh, really, I'm trying not to get too specific because I know I don't know when you're going to publish this, but yeah. like, try not to like bring local like uh, not try not to bring um, recent politics into yeah, it. But like, go ahead. <laughs> we we have um these very rich elite leaders who treat leading a country as like um, their birthright and now they've got the job they won, and they're the king and mm. they can do what they want um, and not as like this burden of responsibility mm. to care for yeah. millions of people in a sense like I would be terrified to be a leader of a country because the responsibility is huge yeah. and I, I I wouldn't just be like um, it's like
1: they don't comprehend it
0: Well, and I get why, like it would be a lot to comprehend, but also like, um, there are people that are willing to step up and do that job properly. Mm. But some of these men, men, also some women, mostly men, um, so far, uh, see it as like, um, a nice feather in their cap. Yeah. And what they've been working towards with their political career for decades. And so they've earned this right. It's their Mm -hmm. turn to lead, um, and I mean we've got that happening at the top. The rich keep getting richer, the poor keep getting poorer. New start hasn't been raised in twenty-five years. You've got things like that going on. Um, so there's a huge structural thing that we're all trying to survive within. And the arts just keeps getting um pummeled mm-hmm. <laughs> um or left behind. Um so that's hard, that's already hard. Mm-hmm. Like but um if we could do more if we could have more community-minded, um, I, I guess, just attitude towards the work we're doing, which I think is out there a lot. Yeah. Um, I found that a lot in Brisbane and in Perth because in Perth, um, artists there are very isolated from the rest of Australia. There isn't a huge amount of funding. Yeah. So they really, this amazing pioneering spirit out there of like, um, well, th- this thing doesn't exist, so I'm going to make it exist. Yeah. Um, so, you know. There's never been a monthly storytelling night in Perth. So um, uh, we're going to make it, like, yeah. you know, uh, and that's awesome. Um, I just wish that it wasn't so necessary. Yeah. <laughs> like I wish that it was like a little bit more comfortable to to create art. Um, yeah. that you didn't have to always feel like you were at the coal face of struggle. <laughs> yeah.
1: I always think about – I think that about that like a little bit, just being like how much art is kind of made in a place of desperation rather than comfort and yes. how does that kind of change what's getting produced.
0: Well, that's yeah. it exactly. And, like, if I didn't have to think so hard about, like, is my like is my voice a priority right now, like, what would I be creating? And, like, yeah. if I didn't have to think about, like um, – paying my medical bills, Mm -hmm. like what would I be creating? And, um, but I, I don't think about that as much as I think about like, who are the people we're missing out on? Mm -hmm. Um, because the, um, the guy who grew up in Melbourne to rich parents and always knew which internships to apply for and always knew like the right school to go to, and then was able to get into that school and had the time on the weekends because he didn't have to have a third job Mm -hmm. to, to work on his craft. Um, that guy's voice is getting heard, and we're hearing about his yeah. trip to Japan again. When, <laughs> when, oh, oh, yeah, not. it's like, oh, no, no, <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah, you had a breakup in Japan. We all did. Uh, yeah, I didn't, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but <laughs> like, and I'm missing out on how many indigenous, trans, they, you know, refugee and uh, immigrant voices because, like, the doing status quo things, keeps happening yeah. yeah because they're busy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or they're just not um not prioritized by yeah. the community mm-hmm. um because uh i mean yeah they're busy they're tired um but also i think they're like once they go up for things there's like a sense of um uh well we're already struggling the arts so we're going to play it safe yeah so I'm not gonna go with i'm I'm gonna go with the guy who looks like all the other guys that I've recognized as yeah. successful. yeah, and I, I, there's a reason why like they do that, and I get that. Um, I don't think it's like um evil. Mm-hmm. um I think that it uh, doesn't come from a good place, but it's yeah. like not people trying to be evil, but it's like also a place of safety and yeah, yeah, but also it's like um it means we have so much so much mediocrity here mm-hmm. um because. It feels like there's a constant scarcity mindset um, for good reason mm-hmm. and um, it just leads to more and more mediocre art and yeah. um, maybe people being, um, I'm thinking more, I guess right now I'm thinking in like comedy, there are people who are like pushed up and given it opportunities who maybe aren't ready for them and haven't done the work mm-hmm. while other people have been around for 10 years and, and they've had to like leave the country to find opportunities because they happen to be brown or black. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, yeah, that sort of thing really bugs me.
1: Actually, like, I think I read an article about that recently. Like, a lot of actors of colour have moved to America because Hollywood is actually moving forward. And, yes, yeah. You know, having diverse casting in Australia is not there yet.
0: It's not there. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's just, like, really sad that people have to kind of change their entire world just to... Yeah, you know, pursue their
0: craft, and like, wouldn't it be lovely to be able to stay near your family, like yeah. to to be near all the friends that you have mm. had f- for decades, and to it would have be so great to know that you could go further in Australia and you could stay yeah. here because those trips are long, and yeah. so it's just a it's it's a long way. <laughs>
1: and I think it makes more sense to kind of make, even though like eventually I would love to go live overseas at some point, but I think it does make more sense to make art from where you're from because you're reflecting on the experiences that you've had and kind of feeding those back to your community so they can kind of, you know, understand place and things like that. Yeah. So it's really sad when that isn't getting done and we're only kind of seeing this, like, small portion
0: of experience. And, like, we're a small population here Mm. relatively to, like, the rest of the world sort of, you know, for a whole continent it's actually Mm. not that many people. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, our talent pool... Like shrinking because people are going overseas is sad. Especially, we're not just losing talent; we're losing knowledge. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking of people specifically that I know that have gone to LA recently. Like you mm-hmm. say, women of color that are like bugging out because they just can't find the opportunities for like the level that they're at now. Yeah. It's just there's nowhere left to go for them in Australia, mm-hmm. which is just so sad. Um, and we're I'm, I'm like they're not around to like mentor the upcoming um yeah. Australian artists uh um it's just like it's like we're we're, we're draining yeah. all this yeah the brain drain you the know the brain drain <laughs> but also like the body drain cuz yeah. like um these bodies could be i'm trying not to reduce people to bodies but i think about it so much because of disability rights mm-hmm. like just think about the kinds of bodies that stay here and the, and like the different experiences of living in different bodies and yeah. how we're losing those voices and Mm -hmm. gosh a lot of chronically ill people especially with my disease die very young Mm -hmm. so um i don't have that long left (laughs) yeah (laughs) like i need to uh i need to create (laughs) (laughs) um and i'm dying faster because of poverty and inaccessibility Mm. and um uh, i can't just go and get a day job so it's just um so hard to make it happen here and um Ah, uh, it makes me mad so I yeah guess, yeah it makes me angry <laughs> and uh, i don't like being this angry <laughs> it's not comfortable <laughs> um but uh i'm tr- i'm stuck here cuz of my illness so mm-hmm. i can't just go and like the world isn't just like opening to me easily yeah. i can't just be like well i'm going to go to berlin a lot of people go to berlin don't they yeah. so yeah. um i would love to but yeah, me too. <laughs> um but also i love australia and um yeah, like you say, I want to keep reflecting on place. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I think about all this a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> on on a lighter note, I, yeah. Thought, yeah, I thought we could talk about Let's Taylor Swift <laughs> oh. as, as a segue. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if I suddenly
0: was like, I have all these dark tags on Taylor Swift.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you also, yeah, you write about pop culture. Um, and I read your piece, it was a junkie piece, 10 years on, how I... S- Learned to stop worrying and love taylor swift's fearless because you talked about stop leaning away from the urge to squash feminine taste mm, um yeah what i thought was funny because i think you're, you're a little bit older than me because when i i remember when it came fearless came out and i think i was probably near nine so i was like shut young, up <laughs> young teenager and it was just kind of oh, like damn. my first like i exposure. thought we were the same age <laughs> <laughs> the truth comes out <laughs> but i i just remember it was really like sweet in the way it kind of like this first time i ever thought about romance and boys oh, and, that's so nice. and like when i listen to that like, music now i'm just like it reminds me of this like really innocent feminine place that's yes. totally lost to me now yeah yeah
0: that's it yeah that's it exactly it um I actually came to fearless much later in my twenties mm. and it was when I needed that reminder of like how, um, how romantic, it, like, uh, just, just sort of open to romance. I was, and I was yeah. just I romance with a big R, you know, like yeah. in, in any form, I was just always thinking about, um, The moon and gardens and flowers and what could happen happen and like (laughs) the world is so exciting and and like I want to adventure across it and Mm. maybe there'll be a handsome person you know or like just um uh such a sense of possibility and excitement Mm -hmm. and wonder and um and like you already you can already hear um uh cynicism coming mm. into Taylor's work in uh, Fearless because she's you know, had her heart broken. Mm. Maybe that's just what country writers have to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, like 15 is a great song mm. um, and already has so much um, pathos <laughs> in mm. it because um, it's really hard to be that age um, and have your first if, – if you're lucky enough to get to that age and not have had your heart broken too much by life um, – Yeah, just – it hits you pretty hard. (laughs) Um, And uh, Mm. listening to that album makes me want to nurture that, like, kid inside me. Yeah. um, It's great. And, yeah, so, I mean, I really, really – like I say in the piece, I was really anti-Taylor Swift when she first came out because I was one of those girls. Yeah. I was like, I'm a cool girl. (laughs) I listen to, (laughs) like, Interpol and Muse, which – both are great but uh i was yeah i was very much like i'm into like four piece men bands mm-hmm. uh that are like very mask um and that makes them cool they yeah. all wear black t-shirts yeah um but, like, what about... which is cool too but yeah i needed to like a f- i i'm a fully rounded person and i mm. need to reflect that in my tastes
1: <laughs> and that's interesting Is also like coming back to writing i guess like in the arts industry everything is you know high brown you've got to like write about serious things and Mm. intellectual things and blah, blah, blah. I sure don't. So, like, what what do you think is, like, the importance of, like, analysing things like pop culture and, Hmm. you know, very popular artists like Taylor Swift?
0: I guess I really enjoy reading – like, I love Maria Lewis's writing, Mm -hmm. um, Jenna Guillaume, who used to be at BuzzFeed. Um, I like reading a lot of um, – oh, Brody Lancaster is another one. I really like – reading these, um, heartfelt, deep intellectual dives into pop culture that people have dismissed as fluffy, uh, as if once it's fluffy, it's not important. Um, because if it means a lot to people, then that's worth exploring. Mm. Um, but also like Taylor Swift's work has meant, um, so much to me. It was a big surprise to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like become one of my big safe spaces. And, I do love it critically and I don't – I don't just – I think a lot of people think that if if it's, like, girls and women like it, that we're not going to like something critically and that we just um, uh, love – I'm trying to come up with a different way of saying blindly because I'm trying to stop using blind as a metaphor for ignorance, um, for willful ignorance. But, like, yeah, I guess, like, will – as if we're going to, like, willfully – um Ignore their flaws and just like love them uncritically yeah um what
1: what what's that like buzzword? It's like my problematic fave yeah, yeah like
0: every fave is problematic um and for me, it just like deepens my experience yeah. to to know that Taylor Swift is problematic and has flaws and yeah. um but also to see like her strengths because mm. just like anyone, she's complex and um uh, uh the fandom is so um articulate and expressive Mm. and um every time she releases something there's like a million takes on tumblr and i love it
1: yeah i love like the fortune telling sort of thing oh yeah like this was in her instagram therefore she has an album coming out in 27 days she is
0: diabolical with that stuff (laughs) (laughs) just recently i was like oh i was like moaning at the fandom i was like Calm, because to me a lot of them are very young, like yeah. a lot younger than me. Sometimes I'll be like, um, "All right, calm down, you guys. Like, she's not gonna, she's not gonna release a Christmas song." Yeah. and then she released a Christmas song, and egg on my face. I was like, yeah. I should never doubt them. They know they're all in school and they do nothing and they're like, outside study times <laughs> except study Taylor Swift. Um, so, yeah, they are almost, like, psychic. It's creepy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and how do you think, like, with, like, writing about pop culture, how, like, you just kind of touched on it, like how does gender sort of come into that?
0: Yeah, it comes into it for me in a big way because, um, again, I think, like, a lot of stuff that's been written about um, in places, like, that are considered – or maybe still are used to be considered like big um uh gatekeepers of like mm-hmm. what's credible in, in the music industry it would be like rolling stone and places like that and um they're doing better now but like i think it was traditionally you would associate the rolling stone with like male rock bands yeah. right like um and um but now like, i mean it's so funny just i see tweets that are of people who are like why? What are all? Why are all these men suddenly going? Oh, Harry Styles is talented. It's like, yeah, women and girls have been saying that, and like gay men, like yeah. all these people that you disregard have been saying it for a long time, a decade, like yeah. a long time. And um, it's not a surprise. He's on his mm. second solo album. It's really not a surprise at this point. Yeah, it's on you if you're surprised mm-hmm. that he actually can sing and he is actually a great performer and like
1: seems like a great person.
0: Seems really well. cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and uh like when people are like oh taylor swift is actually good i'm like did did you think she wasn't yeah Um, i had a i had a partner uh a few years ago and i was like listen to this like it was like right after 1989 came out that album uh which was amazing by Mm -hmm. taylor swift and i was like have a listen to this like because i love the song out of the woods and i was like i'm obsessed with this song um and he put it in his ear and he was like oh taylor swift is actually good and i was like Yeah, Yeah, that's why. Did you think I just liked a shit thing? Like it was really, it felt, it felt insulting. Yeah. Um, uh, Like why did like what is that? What was that based on? That she had like curly hair. Like
1: it's kind of crazy how (laughs) like with a lot of like feminine things in pop culture, how they can be so successful but snubbed Mm. at the same time. I saw Little Women, the preview for Little Women last this week. And it was like crazy because we were like, it was all pre-bought tickets, but still the line was like, um, for anyone who's been to Cinema Nova and Carlton, yeah, like it was Cinema 1, which is like the furthest away and the, the line kind of wrapped around like the hallways of the entire cinema all the way to the toilet, which is like the Whoa. longest way like the line could be. Like there was nowhere else to go.
0: So they and, already had their tickets, but they were lining up yeah, to get a good seat. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. That's dedication. Um,
1: and you know, the movie was beautiful, and you know, there was just mostly women. There was a few guys, um, and like you know, it was a lovely movie. Um, but then it's had like all this, um, like critical like snubbing, mm, in the same yeah. way, because they're starting to like, think about Golden Globes and things like that, and it's just mm. getting. There's getting, like, no coverage because it's, like, such a huge women fan base mm. that all these, like, male critics or male, like, people who are, like, on the academies or whatever aren't thinking about it. Yeah. And then um, Greta Gerwig, the director's husband, I forgot his name. Um, Noah
0: yeah i, don't pre- okay, I only yeah. read so i don't know how to pronounce yeah. it <laughs> like
1: i can see it in my head yeah um he like also released a movie this week called the marriage story and oh, it's yeah. it's really good oh is it? it but it's just like a netflix film right like yeah. it's very simple like it's two people yelling at each other yeah. as far as i've seen yeah like i <laughs> Which, watched it know, and i was like valid, but... i was like that was a smart movie but it's not like a blockbuster thing like Little Women. <laughs> and that's been getting like awards talks. Like if people are talking about, you know, non- nominating been so it. It's so
0: funny all the talk it yeah. has been like, wow, they stuck exactly to the script. And it's like, wait, yeah, that's what the job is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's sort kind of crazy. Like, there's just these, like, couple and they've both made films, and one is, like, just like, so much better, and the other one's just, like, a film.
0: Yeah. And
1: just, like, the different dialogue they're getting around it just, and it all comes down to like, I was, gender. I was really yeah.
0: surprised to find out they were married the other day because yeah. I was like, oh, they make the same films. That makes a lot of sense. But, like, how come, like, he gets, um, she gets a lot of, uh, um, I think critical attention to some extent, like yeah. I know that people, but I can't tell if that's just my bubble mm. of people hearing people talk positively about her work. But um, he gets spoken with like this hushed, like he's like sacred. He's, he's just doing amazing <laughs> things, uh, which, you know, he probably is, but like it is, it is interesting how like um, uh, if it's about like a young woman coming yeah. of age, like Lady Bird or something, yeah. it's maybe not going to get as much, when like almost every story about men is about coming of age, doesn't matter what yeah, age they're exactly. at. Lately, we've been having in the last like five years, we've been having all these movies about men coming of age at like fifty-five, <laughs> <laughs> which is like so cool and fine. Yeah, like it's not about me wanting some stories to exist less. Mm. I'm just like you need like we need a lot more balance. There needs yeah. to be a lot more representation because there are other stories not being told. Yeah, and um, yeah. So I mean, gender is a huge thing. Like for. Uh the way I consume things just mm. because um once i 've done like personal experiments um, yeah. just on my own self um where i I'll try and go a year without uh reading any romance novels or mm. um, see how that affects my attitude towards you know relationships yeah. and love um, or i'll go try and go a year without watching a movie that's not a, without watching a movie that 's about a white man yeah so it 's about anyone else if it's about a man of color if it's about a woman Mm -hmm. it's about a trans person it's like anyone except a white cis man um straight cis Mm man wait did i get all the words in there sorry i'm just checking white cis head man um yeah you know i just want to see all the and then like what i found because i I did a um blog series called the um the other movies Mm or something like that oh i can't remember now um where i did this i only went and reviewed uh new releases that were not about a white man And it was kind of interesting to find out that you'd have like, um, oh, I don't know, for example, like a hundred sessions for like these couple of movies about white men mm. and then you'd have to like go and find that one six thirty showing at an indie cinema on like a Wednesday, oh, if you want to go that. see like yeah. a Korean film or something. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's so um,
0: true. And it was really hard because mm. of my, you know, money and ability restrictions to like get to all these films. Mm. Um, so I ended up not being able to review a lot of them because they hardly had any showings. Yeah. Um, and so there literally is just, isn't space for them in the cinemas. Mm. So they're not getting seen and that's not gonna, They're not going to become someone's favorite movie. Yeah. Um, and that person's not going to buy the DVD and watch it over and over and over. Mm. Um, and that's really sad. Um, but that, that sort of like has, yeah, sort of made me try and seek out stuff that's not just readily available. Yeah. Because um, I don't want to just. Because um, I started I was like, oh, wow, it's amazing to watch movies that I relate to on mm. a different level. Um, I can always relate to a white man because, um, like we're taught to, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but also we're like, Oh, he it, feels sad. Actually. I, I mean, understand just,
0: that I'm supposed to feel bad for him that he feels sad. You know,
1: this, this is probably sounds a bit snarky, but, um, go for
0: it. Timothy. Snark.
1: Timothy Chalamet, whatever his Chalamet. (laughs) Chalamet. At first, I was like, everyone's like, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. Now, every time I watch a film with us, he's in, which feels like every second film at the moment. I'm just like, he's just a broody, young, skinny white dude. He's not saying or doing thing anything interesting. He's just there brooding. Yeah, and we're all losing our minds because he's pretty. Like, this is just, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, like, all yes. over again.
0: <laughs> yes. And, like, Leo, Leo was good. I mean, yeah, like, he I was always him. a good actor, yeah. but also he was allowed, like, a lot of these guys are allowed to have careers that last long enough for them to explore other avenues and get yeah. better at their art. Yeah. Um Whereas, like, women kind of, like, one yeah. and done. <laughs>
1: Expiring date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm reaching mine. <laughs> it's rough. Um, but- also,
1: that's what I loved about, like, fl- have you watched Fleet Bag?
0: yes oh yeah yeah it was so funny people talked about it like it was like groundbreaking and it it was really good but I I really liked the uh from a few years ago this sitcom Miranda and I was like oh this is just gritty Miranda this is just Miranda but gritty (laughs) but with swearing and sex like (laughs) um yeah it's just another posh lady talking to the camera but it it was very good um yeah I would like to see I would, see i would like to see more of that but i would like to see it's not about a posh lady it's about like have you seen have you seen chewing gum
1: no
0: oh it's um oh gosh i can't remember her name right now but it's a african british actor mm-hmm. and she's been in like star trek and other stuff she's like a big deal i wish i could remember her name um but uh uh it's gonna come to me right after we stop recording um chewing gum is about her like living in a um in council housing Mm -hmm. in, uh, I guess, London. And um, it's it's just like – it's like the same story. It's about a person who is just trying to struggle through their life, right? And, like, quirky things happen Mm. and they're trying to find love and it's complicated, except she has an African mother who is – deeply evangelical and always Mm -hmm. trying to trying to get her to flyer for her church which isn't really a church (laughs) it's like an illegal church that she runs out of a community hall and so like the the the, um you know the universal story is like kind of the same but the details are different and the way that things unfold are different and it means that you get to um uh discover um different uh, facets to life and i, yeah. I think it's awesome yeah. uh, i'm not saying anything groundbreaking here but you know i just um i feel like we get, keep getting the same stories and i would like to see more variety yeah just because i think the world is super interesting
1: yeah <laughs> i think it's a nice note to finish on sweet um, i think one more question i should sure. ask people this what can we see from you in the next 12 months
0: um i'll be sleeping a lot uh, <laughs> <laughs> i mean um what can you see from me in the next 12 months I don't know I'm these days I'm thinking very very much like a week ahead at most yeah that's um, good so we'll see yeah 2020 yeah who knows <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for plugging in and listening to my little podcast today. If you want to hear more of In The Arts, episodes are on all podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Wherever you find your podcast, it will be there. And these are released each Thursday, probably until early March, unless, of course, I decide to make some more. Admittedly, though, this is a bit of an experiment for me. I have no performance or public speaking experience, um, so I'm coming to this very green so it would mean the world to me if you could let me know if you are listening and enjoying the show you can do so by subscribing on one of those podcast apps you can leave a review which would be lovely or you could even just do something like popping a screenshot of the episode in your instagram story you can tag me my instagram is tan super dry like the beer han super dry i'll pop this on the show notes again thanks for listening